Paul literally says, you have been graced to suffer for Jesus. God has graced you by giving you the opportunity to suffer for Him. What the world would call suffering, God calls grace. is the normal experience for us to experience frustration and disappointment in our prayer life. Frustration and disappointment over the consistency of our prayers, over the regularity of our prayers, over the depth of our prayers, the significance of our prayers, and over the content of our prayers. I think it's typical for all of us to feel frustration and disappointment that we don't pray as we should. And when we do pray, we tend to fall into those prayers that are just repetitions of things that we always lift up to God. And they, with repetition, they seem to, at least in our hearts, they seem to lose some meaning and some significance. And so we struggle with that empty feeling of a prayer life. Paul has some words to help us. He has an example prayer for us in the first chapter to his letter to the Philippians that we're going to look at. And he's going to show us the depth of a prayer as he prays for these true believers in Jesus Christ. We said this past Tuesday night as we got together, we talked about the fact that what dominates our thought life will also dominate our prayer life. So if our thought life is dominated by the superficial, then our prayer life will also be superficial. But if our thought life is dominated by the spiritual, then that will automatically bleed over into our prayer life. If the desires of our heart are spiritual desires, then the petitions of our prayers will also be spiritual petitions as well of this prayer of His. So let's begin by reading. I'm going to read from verse 3 down through verse 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this theme of the fellowship, of closeness of the true believers in Jesus Christ continues Here in verse 7, Paul says this, It is right, or it is just, it is justified, I am justified to feel this way about you all. There's the you all again four times in this short passage. Paul's hammering home this unity. But he says it is just, it is right, It is I am justified to feel this way about you. Now what way is Paul speaking of? The way that he just said in verse 6, I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am right to feel this way. And that word that's translated feel, it doesn't mean this emotional feeling that he has. The word means to come to an opinion or an attitude after a careful examination. 
So Paul's not saying, I, I have this emotion about you. He's saying, I've come to this settled understanding. I've come to this settled opinion. I've thought about this. I've looked at it. And I've come to the conclusion. Much like we would say, we would say like this. I feel like the solution to the problem is this. Or I feel like what we should do is this. You're not, you're not expressing an emotion. You're expressing an opinion that you've come to after considering. So Paul says, I've considered this and I have come to the conclusion that I am right to have the opinion of you that God has begun a work in you and having begun that work, He will bring that work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The work is salvation and He's right to have that opinion because of what He sees in them. He sees their continued partnership in the gospel, how they give sacrificially time and time again. We talked last week and the week before about how often the Philippian church has given financially to Paul. We looked at what Paul says to the Corinthian believers about the Philippian believers and how they're not wealthy people. They are actually very poor people, yet they give abundantly out of their poverty. And so Paul looks at that and he says, I'm right to have that conclusion that God has truly begun a work in you because no one can sustain that kind of sacrificial commitment to the gospel work without having received the grace of the gospel themselves. You know, it's one thing to put some money in an offering plate. It's one thing to say that we're concerned about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's one thing to say that we're concerned about lost people. And it's another thing to maintain that sacrificial concern for now more than a decade. The Philippian church is over a decade old now. And so Paul's saying, you're only going to maintain that if you have received the grace of Jesus Christ yourself. Therefore, being moved in your spirit to continue sacrificing for that cause. And so Paul says, I see that, I observe that. And so I'm right in concluding that God began that work in you and He'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm right to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. He's not talking about this emotional bond that he has for them. He's talking about the commitment of life that he has for them. A little bit later on in chapter 2, Paul's going to say, you know, if, if my life is being poured out as a sacrificial offering for your faith, so be it. He's saying, I have pledged to give my very life for you and those others who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so because I hold you in my heart, because we have this bond with one another, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So there's that word again, koinonia, fellowship, sharing, partaking. It's the fellowship of true believers. Paul says here, you are all fellowshippers or sharers or partakers or koinonia, with me of grace. And how is that sharing played out? Paul says, because of my imprisonment in the defense and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying we share, we have this fellowship of gospel work, of gospel ministry. My work is preaching and teaching, planting churches, traveling, leading people to Jesus, preaching in synagogues, being beaten up for it, being thrown in prison for it, stoned for it, shipwrecked for it, all these other things. That's my work. Your work is the support of me in doing that so that I don't have to work seven days a week to support myself. You are supporting me so that I can travel about and 
engage in this ministry. So both of those are our sharing in this gospel work, in this gospel ministry. But look at how Paul puts it. For you are all partakers with me of, what's that word? Grace. He doesn't say you are sharers with me in the work or you are sharers with me in the struggle or you are sharers with me in the sacrifice. He says you are sharers with me in the grace, the grace of God that other people might call work, other people might call sacrifice, but we don't call it that. We call it grace. In Paul's way of thinking, what he does for the furtherance of the gospel and what the Philippians do for the furtherance of the gospel is not a sacrifice. It is the grace of God shown to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at how Paul puts it here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about these false teachers that have come to Corinth. And they're bringing false teaching to the the believers there in Corinth. And they'd have nothing nice to say about Paul. And oh, by the way, they're also lazy. And they're living off the Corinthians while they're there. They're mooching off of them. And so Paul is comparing himself to them. Not only are they false teachers, but he says they're, they're lazy. He says, I worked harder than any one of them. In another place in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, it was my right to be supported financially because I am a, I am one who goes about sharing the gospel. And so it's my right to be supported in that, but I didn't choose to, to take that right. In other words, in, instead, I worked making tents by night. I was supported by the Macedonian believers, the Philippian believers, so that I wouldn't be a burden to you. But contrary to that, they are a burden to you. But I worked harder than all of them. But then look at what he says. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is within me. In other words, the work and the effort that Paul invests into the Corinthians, teaching by day, making tents by night, that work... He says, that wasn't work. That wasn't sacrifice. That was God's grace. God's unmerited, undeserved gift to me. God gifted me with the opportunity to serve you in that way. Look later on in uh, his letter to the Philippians. Later on chapter 1, near the end of that chapter, verse 29. Chapter 1, verse 29 of Philippians. Here's what Paul says here. For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. It's been granted to you, you Philippian believers, to believe in Jesus and suffer for His sake. Now look at that word granted. You know what that word is? It's the verb form of the word for grace. In other words, Paul literally says, you have been graced to suffer for Jesus. God has graced you by giving you the opportunity to suffer for Him. What the world would call suffering, God calls grace. God calls a gift. Look in your notes here at Acts chapter 5, verse 41. We're familiar, familiar with Peter and John as they were beaten for sharing Jesus and they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. Or James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you encounter trials of various kinds. Or Jesus, as he says to his followers in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of lies and slander about you. Blessed are you. Or Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus has the encounter with the rich young ruler. And he invites the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler wants to follow Jesus. He has this interest in eternal life. And he comes to Jesus, all proud of himself. What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, well, I can, I can see that you have a real attachment to earthly stuff. So leave your earthly stuff and follow me. And the, the, the guy can't do it. Well, right after he can't do that, the apostle with the big mouth, otherwise known as Peter, speaks up and says, hey, Jesus, we've all left everything for you. And they did. They left fishing nets, they left fishing boats, they left fishing businesses, they left family. They left everything for Jesus. So Peter says, we left everything for you, Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there's no such thing. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Put into different words, Jesus is saying there's no such thing as sacrificing for me. You know what a sacrifice is? A sacrifice is incurring a loss. Is it a loss to give one for a hundred? Is that a loss? And so what Jesus is saying, you can't sacrifice for me. You can't suffer for me. You can't give up something for me. If you think you're giving up something for me, then the something that you think you're giving up, you love more than you should. You value more than you should. If anything holds value in your heart next to me, then you're valuing it too much. Because you cannot sacrifice for me. Paul says, it's the grace of God. My work, night and day, was grace. My suffering was grace. My sacrifices were grace. Peter and John say the same thing. Thank you, Lord, that you counted us worthy. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. You may be familiar with the name Hudson Taylor. Anybody heard that name? Missionary, spent most of his life in inland China, encountered unspeakable deprivations for the sake of Christ. Beaten, imprisoned, lost his property, lost children in China. I mean, just you, you name it. He suffered incredible deprivations for the name of Jesus in China. Near the end of his life, he's back home and somebody asks him, what about all these, what, what was it like to sacrifice so much for Jesus? And Hudson Taylor says, What are you talking about? I'm paraphrasing here. What are you talking about? I never sacrificed anything. I never sacrificed anything for Jesus. Whatever I thought I was sacrificing, He replaced so much more abundantly that I can't even consider what I did for Him to even be a sacrifice. Later on, his daughter-in-law, a lady by the name of Geraldine Taylor, writes this, but I know that speaking of her her father-in-law's words about how he never sacrificed for Jesus, she says, but now I know that such words, meaning his words, are wholly true. 
Talk of sacrifice? There is no sacrifice. There is no such word to the Christian. After a riot, when our lives had been saved by a miracle, when we were sitting bruised and bleeding amidst the ruins of our home, in that hour, believe me, heaven itself was open to us. And we tasted then and afterwards a joy so marvelous that I scarcely like to speak about it here, as we realized that we had been permitted to suffer something for Christ's sake. No words can tell you the joy which filled our hearts. We have never known anything like it since, and we would not miss that experience out of our lives for all that you could give us. Paul says to these Philippian believers, we both are engaged in this gospel work. And this gospel work requires what the world would call sacrifice. But there is no such thing. This is the grace of God that He has blessed us with the opportunity to be involved with His work, which He returns a hundredfold. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.